0: Teaching in the Gospel of John. Now, the last time we were here, we were in chapter 9 dealing with the healing of a man who was born blind. Now, what we want to remember is the healing of this particular man was considered to be a messianic miracle. That is, a miracle that was believed that only the Messiah could do, which was the reason why Jesus indicated that the man was born blind and Jesus had need of healing this particular man at this time. That is to show that he indeed was the Messiah, but even more so the son of God. But anyway, so we find that Jesus healed this particular man. And after the healing of this man, the people were amazed because they understood the type of miracle that it was, Messianic. And he was led before the blind man, or should I even say the once blind man, was led before the Pharisees, the leaders of the Jewish people, and they interrogated him concerning the manner in which and how he was healed. We know that Jesus healed this particular man on the Sabbath day, and the Pharisees believed that doing any kind of work, that is healing, they considered to be a work, and the making of the mud, the clay to put on the blind man's eyes. They considered that to be a breaking of the Sabbath. And therefore, they already had determined in their hearts already that Jesus was not the Messiah. They just simply emphasized the fact that Jesus was not from God. And so in their interrogation of the blind man, we see in chapter nine, a progression of faith from the beginning. When Jesus first healed him, we saw the blind man referred to Jesus as the man. During their interrogation, that is the interrogation of the Pharisees, the blind man called Jesus a prophet. And then at the very end, when Jesus met this blind man again, after he was healed, the blind man once worshipped him. And this is only to be done as God. So we saw a progression of faith in the blind man as he went from not understanding who Jesus was, that is the person of Jesus, to a understanding of Jesus, not only as Messiah, but also as a divine figure, the son of God. And then we see a play on this particular instance of the healing of the blind man in blindness. And we saw that the blind man who was once blind obtained his sight and the unbelieving Pharisees and religious leaders who resisted Jesus, his words, and what he was saying about himself, son of man, son of God, son of man, reference to the Messiah, son of God, reference to his divine personage. They rejected all of these things and therefore they remained blind. So we see the theme of blindness continuing. Okay. All right. Enough of that coverage. So, Now we enter into chapter 10. Now chapter 10 is not unique because it actually continues from the event of the blind man and Jesus began to speak in parables to demonstrate uh, 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 rightful ownership of things and other things. I don't want to get into it right now. So let me just go into chapter 10 and we'll talk about those things as we move through the chapter. All right. Chapter 10, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door unto the, into, the sheep, into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out when he puts forth all his own he goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice a stranger they simply will not follow but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers this figure of speech Jesus spoke to them but they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them okay so now we deal with the particular parable that Jesus began to speak remember this is the same instance of the crowd with the man who was born blind that Jesus just healed. And in that crowd, we have a few believers. There are a few believers. I always remember the believers are always few in numbers, but there are a few believers, of course, a great number of unbelievers and more specifically these religious leaders who as a whole did not believe in Jesus and had rejected Jesus. And so Jesus began to speak to them concerning a parable of what we call the good shepherd and remember what we said about the truly truly whenever jesus does the truly truly he is speaking something of fundamental importance all right so now let's look at what jesus actually said in the text so he begins and simply says truly truly the one who does not enter into the door of the sheep by the sheepfold so in the parable of the the shepherd let me just do it this way let me slow it down for a second Remember that a parable was something that Jesus spoke to that has a spiritual meaning that relates to an everyday situation that the people of his time could understand. And so speaking of this thing about shepherds and sheep, the people were very familiar with this thing. So Jesus gives a parable of a shepherd. And basically what he is simply saying is this. We have to go back in time at that time, uh, first century uh, Judea at that time. And we understand that a number of shepherds would keep their sheep in a common sheepfold. Uh, 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 Many flocks would be kept in a place and there would be a doorkeeper at the door who would allow the rightful shepherds to go in and out to their sheep. Now, when a shepherd would come to the door of the sheep, of course, he would be recognized by the doorkeeper and the doorkeeper would allow a legitimate shepherd to enter into the sheep, the the common sheepfold with a bunch of sheep, his and even others. Okay. Now, when the shepherd entered the sheepfold, he would call his sheep, sometimes even by name. But the sheep were familiar with the voice of the shepherd and even the names to the which the shepherd had given them. And only the sheep that belonged to that shepherd would respond to him and come out to him. And as the sheep would come out to the shepherd, the shepherd would lead them out. He would follow in front of the sheep and lead them out unto pasturage. And later on, he would bring the sheep bring the sheep back once the sheep finished uh, feeding or doing whatever the shepherd wanted to do with them. Once these things were over with, the shepherd would then return back to the sheep and the sheep would go back into the fold, that common fold, and the common fold would usually have some sort of gates surrounding it. This is why there was a common fold with a gate around it and a guard around them. That is, Jesus called him the doorkeeper. And the reason why they were in this thing with the gate is because there were often animals that would come and attack uh, the fold and eat them and, and take them away like lions and 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 tigers and 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 whatever and wolves would come to devour the sheep. So this was done for the sheep's protection. So we have the scenario that is now set forth. This was the common thing that you need to envision in your mind of how the shepherd would come to the gate, call his particular sheep, and then those sheep would respond to his voice alone, and then. Follow him. It was on this uh, particular uh, position, should I say that's not a good word to use, but it was this particular scenario that our Lord used to give a spiritual principle about him being the rightful one sent from God and his own sheep responding to him. Okay, now that we have that particular picture given. Let's get into the text itself. Right. So he says what? Verse number one of a truth. He who does not enter into the door of the sheep, but climbs another way is a thief and a robber. Remember, now let's go back to the the issue of the man that is born blind and the people who are there. Remember, a few those who are true believers in Jesus Christ. A great majority of the people, some who are indifferent in some way, trying to is he the one, is he not the one, and as well as the unbelieving religious leaders. And it is here that Jesus is speaking to, or should I even say referencing the unbelieving Jewish leaders. They are being referred to as the thief who comes in by another way, who does not come in the proper way, that is by the door. But the shepherd is the one who does come by the proper way. Now, the issue is now in a parable, in a parable, it is not always necessary to make a one to one relationship with every uh, uh, article in the parable. Say, for instance, what I'm dealing with now is the door. We understand that the thieves, the thieves are the religious leaders, these very Pharisees who did not believe in Jesus, the one who were declaring Jesus to be an ungodly man and even demon-possessed. They are the thieves. We understand that Jesus clearly would be the good shepherd in this parable, but what is the door? Now, the door, I believe, could be representative of the law of Moses, but nevertheless, the door is a rightful entry into the sheep. It is simply a rightful entry to the sheep. And this is why I believe it is the law of Moses, because the Pharisees did not take upon themselves to enter through the law of Moses alone, but what they did was, they created all these additional rules. Now, if you've been following me in the teaching of this video, we have talked about these rules, the teachings of the elders and things of that nature all of the rules that they added to the Sabbath day. Remember then, this is one of the re- the problems that they had with Jesus at this particular time, the healing of the man, because Jesus did what they call breaking of the Sabbath day when he did the work of healing and made the clay. So I believe that the door specifically speaks to the law of Moses and their illegitimate interpretation and adding on of rules to God's perfect law to the, which they should not have in the first place. So therefore they trying to have some sort of access the door, the door access to the people, the sheep that is supposed to be God's heritage, the people, the sheep, they came in in an unlawful manner. They did not come through the door of the law of the, the law and the prophets. They came through the religiosity of their own rules and therefore they they did what? They didn't enter the door, they came over the fence, and therefore they were not allowed access to the sheep, making them thieves and robbers. Okay, enough said about that. But Jesus said, verse number two, that the one who enters through the door is the shepherd. He is the legitimate one, the law of Moses, in the proper manner in which he should. Jesus now is declaring that. And to him, the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Again, speaking of the legitimacy between the one who enters the sheep gate properly and the illegitimacy of the one's who do not, but to the rightful shepherd, the doorkeeper opens up to him and what happens? He calls his sheep by name. We've already talked about that. Sometimes the shepherd would give the sheep individual name, but the point is he calls his own flock and leads them out to pasture. He does the work of a shepherd in feeding his flock. Verse number four talks about when he put forth all his own, he goes ahead of them. Sheep follow him because they know his voice. Again, talking about the parable going before the sheep is he leads them. He gives them the proper direction. He get and in the spiritual sense, the proper teaching and the right understanding. And this contrast, Jesus, Over against the Pharisees, who were not leading the people properly, who were not giving the people the proper understanding and the right understanding of Scripture. They were giving the people their own rules, as we just stated earlier, even going above the law of Moses. Okay, but the shepherd, the good shepherd, does not. He leads them. He provides for them. And also it's going to bring in the instance of he protects them, but we're not there yet. And again, five, the stranger, they will not follow. They simply will not follow, but will flee from them because they don't know the voice of stranger. And as it relates to the parable, it is an amazing thing to see. Remember now, the sheep, a number of shepherds would keep their sheep in a common place fold with a number of other sheep of other shepherds. If a shepherd who was not the true shepherd of the sheep would try to call them, the the sheep would not respond because they simply don't respond to the voice of a false shepherd or a shepherd whose voice they do not know. Again, we understand that didactively in a teaching manner, Jesus was speaking of the Pharisees and how that certain people or certain ones of the people of Israel were not responding to the Pharisees so well. Why? Because the Pharisees themselves were illegitimate shepherd. And therefore, there was difficulty with the people of God in responding to the Pharisees. Now, as we're working through this, what you need to understand is, there is a foundational assumption of the teachings of Jesus in John 6:36 through 41. What do I mean by this? Remember when Jesus said these words, "All that the Father gives unto me will come, and I will not turn any of them away." So let me just simply say that in a nutshell. In other words, God has predetermined an elect number of people to give to Jesus for salvation. This is what we talk about. This is what we call as election. People whom God has chosen from eternity past. And you hear saying in another way in the New Testament, whose names were written in the Lamb's book of life, when? Before the world ever existed, before the foundation of the world. This was predetermined by God to give a select number and names of people to Jesus, and Jesus would therefore save them and keep them, And never lose a single one. Now, that's the essence of John 6, 36 to 41. All right. This becomes the foundation, foundational assumption that you have to remember. Because remember now, that's John 6. We're now in John chapter 10. All of this keeps working together. This foundational assumption is present when we talk about the sheep. Because notice what Jesus is simply saying. My sheep? What sheep? Those whom the father has given unto me. Tell me about those whom the father has given unto me. They hear my voice. So we can even expand it. And I don't want to keep going on and on because I think this can actually be a video within itself. But the idea is this. That's why Jesus would say later on. He says, the reason why you don't hear me, the reason why you are not responding to me. That is listening to me, believing that I am who I say that I am, that I am the son of man. I am the son of God. The reason that you are not coming to me in faith to be saved is because the father has not given you to me. In other words, you are not my sheep. This speaks of the elect ones. All right. So that's the idea concerning the sheep. And you have to keep that in mind. These are not people who are simply, who are simply already saved. That's not the wrong, that's the wrong understanding. The sheep of Jesus are the ones who have been predetermined, the ones who have been chosen by God unto salvation. So therefore, when they hear Jesus speak or even When they hear the gospel, that is the the, the preaching concerning the life, the death, the the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. When they hear these things, they respond in faith and belief. Why are they able to respond in faith and belief? It is because they are the sheep of God, There are the sheep of Jesus. They are the ones whom the father has chosen to give to the son. So therefore they respond when the son speaks. You got it. So the idea of election is commonly and foundationally present in these teachings of Jesus. All right. So enough said about that because of, but you must understand that to get a clear understanding of these passages. But anyway, so now let's go back. In the parable of the shepherd, Jesus is simply saying, he is the good shepherd. He is the one who has the rightful access to the sheep of God, the people of Israel. The bad shepherds are, or the thieves, are the religious leaders, the Pharisees who are unbelieving, and the people are the sheep there have been problems with the people responding to the Pharisees, why? Because of all of these rules, these, and I mean, it was over a thousand rules that they added to the 613 commandments of the law of Moses. And this created a great difficulty with the people and therefore they did not respond to these false shepherds. But Jesus being the true one sent from the father, the people respond to him when they hear his voice why they have been given to god as a gift to the right shepherd that is jesus and he simply emphasizes and says they will not follow another voice another false shepherd because they don't understand his voice they do not hear I'm sorry they do not hear the voice of a false shepherd okay all right, so now let's get back to where we were. Uh, and it says in verse number six that they didn't understand the particular pattern in which Jesus was speaking, so Jesus continued to speak. Verse number seven. So Jesus said to them again Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. All right, now let's talk about this section. But I forgot something, too. As we are in chapter 10, we are once again dealing with some of the I am statements of Jesus and the two I ams of Jesus that we're going to deal with here. We've already dealt with one. I am the good shepherd. Okay. And I am the door. We've already talked about the shepherd, the true legitimate shepherd. And now we talk about the, I am, which is the door. And the idea of a door is the, uh, uh, the speaks of legitimacy, through by which the sheep can enter in and exit. That's the idea. A door allows entering and exit. So now let's look at this second uh, parabolic uh, 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 expression that Jesus gives here. Verse number seven. He says again, what? Truly, truly again, the emphasis is being brought of a truth. This is something important to understand. I am the door of the sheep. So Jesus now styles himself as a door. But what does he mean when he says the door? First of all, he doesn't quite get into that. He doesn't quite say about the door yet, but he is going to. And remember, as he is styling this particular parable, it too is predicated, Is based upon the, the parable that he just gave, the parable of what? The good shepherd, the whole scenario. Remember what I set forth for you guys? What happens, first century Israel, with a shepherd as he goes to get his sheep to take them in and out? That but he, So it's still based upon that scenario. But before he talks about the door and what he means by expressing himself as the door, He once again relates to the Pharisees. What does he say? The thief comes only to, I'm sorry, all who came before me are thieves and robbers and the sheep sheep did not hear them. So therefore the thieves and robbers refer right back to whom the unbelieving Pharisees. And it it, it was the unbelieving Pharisees, or should I say it were, It was. Yes, it was. (laughs) Subject, verb agreement. It was the unbelieving Pharisees who literally came before Jesus. That is, we're not talking about Jesus in eternity past. We're talking about the ministry of Jesus. Jesus became 30 years of age and then he began to teach and preach and do all of the wonderful things that he did. Okay, but the Pharisees were long before that time. And so Jesus called them thieves and robbers. Again, we understand why the thieves and the robbers, because they were illegitimate. If they had entered through the door of the law of Moses, this would have given them legitimacy. What does that mean? If the Pharisees had come teaching only what the law had given them, Only what Moses had spoken to them and said that and that alone, they would have been legitimate shepherds. But because they came with all of these additional rules, that's why we see the Mishnah, the Mishnah, which is uh, 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 um, uh, putting in writing of all of those rules, even years following, I think sometime about what, 200 AD, I believe sometime around that time. But with all of these additional rules, if they had simply come in the law of Moses, they would have been legitimate shepherds. But they were illegitimate because of all of the rules that they were creating, placing people under a bondage, a yoke, that they were impossible to keep. The law itself had his own difficulties. With their rules, it became absolutely impossible to keep. But anyway, let's go back. Let's go back. So Jesus says those who came, that thieves and robbers, And the sheep did not hear them again. This is simply nothing but an emphasis on what he said earlier. The difficulty that the people had in responding to the pharisaical rules and teachings, all of these additions to the law of Moses. Now he talks about what he means when he speaks of himself as the door in verse number nine. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved Now, that's what Jesus means when he says he is the door. He is the way unto salvation. He is the only way. Faith in Jesus alone. And remember what Jesus has been saying. Never forget it. All as we work through John, what he's been saying about himself. He is the Son of Man. He has come so that he might be lifted up, even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Even so in the same manner, the son of man must be lifted up on the cross so that whomsoever believe in him might not perish, but have eternal life. John 3, 16 and 17. But the idea is he is that one to the, which the father has sent into the world in order that man might be saved. Jesus pays the price for our sins. He is that doorway that in that yields an entrance into the presence of the father. And what happens also? The one who enter him, he'll be saved and he'll go in and out and find pasture. Now, this pasture speaks of the rest, the rest That Jesus gives the comfort that Jesus gives the protection of the soul that Jesus gives the teachings and instructions that Jesus gives as the door. He opens a way unto them for life, for peace in the presence of the father. In other words, all that the father has for his people You can receive this when you enter through the door of faith in Jesus, son of man, son of God, his humanity, and that he is God and God alone who can save. Okay, But anyway, so that's what he is speaking of, all the while maintaining the parabolic scenario of a shepherd and his sheep. Emphasizing the Pharisees again in verse number 10, the thief comes with a purpose to steal, kill and to destroy. But Jesus comes in contrast to give life in following after the Pharisees. What happens? You lose. There is a spiritual loss, even a spiritual loss to salvation, because remember, Jesus is that only door that leads unto salvation. And the Pharisees, false teachers, false shepherds of Israel, because they did not follow after the law of Moses, because they rejected Jesus as a Messiah, the only true door, instead of leading the people to prosperity, and I mean spiritual prosperity, salvation, What did they do? They actually took away and and they took away from the people because they tried to turn the people's heart from Jesus. Calling Jesus what? Demon possessed and saying that Jesus was not the Messiah. So what do you do? You steal, you kill and ultimately you destroy. In following after the Pharisees, these false teachers, these thieves, and these robbers, it leads to spiritual destruction, ultimately to hell itself. There is one way into the presence of the father, one way of salvation, one door you can enter through that is Jesus. I am that door. Okay. So now what we see. Jesus taken the parabolic expression of a shepherd to speak of one who has legitimate rights unto the sheep and one who comes in the right way through the law of Moses. And also he has contrasted himself against the Pharisees, those who do not have legitimate right unto the sheep, thieves and robbers and those who come by another way outside of the law of Moses. And then Jesus spoke of himself as that great door through him and him alone. There is found salvation and those thieves and robbers who mislead the people end up ultimately taking away from them, steal, kill, destroy. And they lose their souls. They lose their lives. There is no salvation in following these thieves because they are illegitimate and they reject the true door. They reject the true shepherd. Okay. So now let's continue on. Jesus continues in this parabolic teaching in verse number 11 parabolic teaching of the shepherd and the sheep. I am. The good shepherd, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who is not the owner of the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and not concerned about the sheep. Okay. So now Jesus speaks same scenario of the of a shepherd and the sheep, same foundational foundation that he is building on. He now speaks of relationship. Again, we don't want to lose the contrast with Jesus, good shepherd, and the Pharisees, thieves and robbers, illegitimate shepherd. OK, so in this particular one, in dealing with the relationship, he comes from the perspective of Protection. So what does he say? I am the good shepherd and he lays down his life for the sheep. He's not a high So there is a contract. He's not a hired hand. There is a contrast. What, what is Jesus saying? The true shepherd of the sheep, the one to whom the sheep belongs to when he sees a threat to his sheep, Let's say, for example, a lion. Remember, David said, I fought off a lion and I fought off a bear against the sheep because David was a shepherd. And often we see a number of great men in Old Testament scriptures who were shepherds. Abraham was a shepherd. Isaac and Jacob were shepherds. Moses was a shepherd. David was a shepherd. But when a shepherd sees a lion or a wolf coming to attack his sheep, He fights off the lion. He drives the lion away. Why? Because the sheep legitimately belong to him and those are his sheep. He cares about the sheep and therefore he will protect the sheep, even risking his life, even risking his life uh, to take care and protect his sheep. This he contrasts against the false shepherds. So here he now calls the Pharisees, those religious leaders, he calls them hired hands. Or you see maybe I think it's in the King James Version, hirelings. Because what? The hired hand sees the trouble. He sees the lion. He sees the, the wolf attacking the sheep. And what does he do? He says to himself, huh, I'm not going to get myself killed for sheep that are not even mine. No, indeed. I'm not going to get into that. So what does he do? He flees. He runs away. And what happened? The lion comes, attacks, tears him up and scatters the flock. When he sees danger, he abandons the sheep. Why? Because they are not his. But notice what Jesus says. In contrast, Jesus calls himself not simply a shepherd. He calls himself a good shepherd. And I believe here, notice what he says, for the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, we have to look closely at this. Even though a legitimate shepherd, a legitimate shepherd would fight off wolves and, and lions for his sheep, The shepherd is not just simply willing to die. He is willing to protect and he will go to great lengths to protect his sheep. Jesus is now elevating himself even above the legitimate shepherd. That's why he calls himself a good shepherd. Why? He is not simply willing to fight off an intruder he is willing to even die for his sheep. Now, that is a marvelous concept when you think about it. You're, you're going to die for sheep? Now, we already know that Jesus is alluding to what? His crucifixion on the cross. But nevertheless, let's just simply stick with the parable at this time. It is an amazing concept that the shepherd would be willing to even die for sheep. And that's why Jesus calls himself what? The good shepherd. Why? I am willing to go to the extent of even dying for the protection of my sheep. And this even further contrast creates a greater gulf between Jesus and the Pharisees, hireling thieves and robbers of his time. Jesus is willing to give the ultimate sacrifice for his people. When the Pharisees who are illegitimate shepherds, thieves and robbers will not do so to protect God's people, but they in abandoning God's people in self-preservation, they allow the people of God to be scattered and to be indoctrinated with false doctrine, but we're not going to get into all of that. So what, where am I? Where am I? Where am I? Okay. That's it. That's it. So he simply says in verse number 13, it's simply because of the nature of who they are, the Pharisees. They are hired persons and therefore they would not sacrifice themselves for the sheep. Unlike the shepherd, unlike Jesus, who is the good shepherd, who will even lay down his life in the protection of the sheep. Let's continue. Verse number 14. I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own no mean, even as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will hear my voice and they will become one flock with one shepherd. Now, let's talk about that. So he continues on. Same idea. Can't lose the, the shepherding and the sheep thing speaking of himself as what? The good shepherd. And what does he say? I'm the good shepherd, and my own know me. Remember what we just said about the previous instance, what he just said, dealing with relationship. Okay. What is the relationship? I know my sheep, just like the whole idea of the actual phenomenon of the shepherd calling his sheep and they would have different calls or even call them by name. It's interesting to see how they call them. (laughs) But the shepherd calling his sheep, the sheep know him relationship, and he also is able to identify knowing his sheep. And remember what we said earlier. Undeniable is that assumption of what principle? Election. Those given by the father to Jesus. And therefore, when Jesus speaks, they hear these sheep respond and therefore they have what? A relationship with the shepherd. Jesus knows them. They know Jesus. And then he continues on and simply say, verse number 15, even as the father knows me and I know the father, I lay down my light for the sheep. That similarity. Uh, of relationship that's what he's talking about similarity in relationship relationship of the sheep to Jesus in a similar way not the same way not the same way but similar way as the relationship of Jesus to the father the reason why we say not the same way is because the relationship between Jesus and the father is a unique relationship and a oneness relationship now there is a oneness relationship between Jesus and the sheep. There is one, he being the head and the sheep being the body, but we're not gonna get into all of that. But we already know, those of you who have an understanding of the relationship between Christ, Jesus, and his church, how Jesus is the head of the the body, the church is the body, those members of Jesus, okay? There is a oneness, there is not a separation in that sense, But the oneness between the son and the father isn't, oh my goodness, I don't want to say it, but let me just simply say it this way, ontological oneness, all right. I never should have said that, but let me just simply explain it. When we say ontological oneness, that is a oneness of being. Jesus is of the same essence as the father. He shares the singular being of God that the Father has, okay? That's why he can later on say, and he will say later on, I and the Father are one. And they are gonna wanna stone him because Jesus is claiming what? Oneness, equality with God. He is claiming to be God, okay? So that's what we mean when we say ontological. He shares the same essence and being of God. But nevertheless, there is a relational oneness That Jesus has with his sheep, and this is why it was necessary for Jesus to be baptized. Remember when Jesus came to John the Baptist to be baptized, and John did not want to be want to baptize Jesus. He thought that was a condescending act that he would perform to Jesus. I need to be baptized of you, says John, but Jesus says, Permit it at this time. Suffer it to be so. It is needful. It is needful. Why? It speaks of the oneness that he will have with his people. How Jesus, the shepherd, identifies with his people. Okay, enough of that. So what was going on in the text? And again, I lay down my life for the sheep. He emphasizes because that is what solidifies the oneness, that relationship that Jesus has with his people the crucifixion that he shows the ultimate form of love in laying down his life for these sheep. Indeed, this shepherd loves his sheep. Okay, so he uh, emphasizes again what that upcoming crucifixion, what Jesus will accomplish for us on the cross. And then he says in verse number 6 that he has other sheep that are not of this fold. Remember, the audience that Jesus is speaking to is a Jewish audience. So this is the Jewish sheepfold that Jesus has been speaking about at this particular time. The other sheep that Jesus is speaking to are the Gentiles who will be believers of Jesus in the future. And we see this after the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus and the going forward in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, we see this with the spreading of the gospel from the time that, and I don't want to get into all of that history, but from the time that Stephen is killed, the church is uh, goes out and and and, and is dispersed uh, amongst the Samaritans and then finally into, into the Gentiles. And we see Peter come into the household of Cornelius and we see the gospel going into the Gentiles and the Gentiles being believers in Jesus. They are sheep that belong to the same sheepfold as the Jews. And this is the other sheep that Jesus is speaking about that are not of that Jewish fold, but they are of the sheep. And what does Jesus say? Those sheep, they will hear my voice. Okay, again, remember what I said about the assumption that is foundational, the elect of God, John 6 36 to 41, those whom the Father has given to me will come. So notice, Jesus is speaking here concerning the Gentiles. That what? God has chosen a number of Gentiles who will believe in Jesus, so that when they hear the gospel, they will respond in faith and believe and be saved. That's what Jesus says. They will hear my voice. Why is Jesus, first of all, he is God. He knows everything, but even more so here, why I, Why will they hear? Why is it a definite thing that they will hear? They will respond to the gospel because they have been chosen to believe in Jesus chosen unto faith from eternity past according to the will of God. So therefore, when the gospel comes to these select Gentiles, they hear, they respond in faith and belief, and they will be saved. These Gentiles will hear and what will be the end result? It will become, they will become one flock, both Jew and Jew and Gentile will become one flock. And now Jesus speaks of the entity that will be created in the future after his resurrection. That entity is the church. And this is what Paul speaks about in Ephesians 1 and 2. Chapters 1 and 2, the church that unique body of Christ that exists of Jew believing Jews And Gentiles, how that wall of partition, the law of Moses, that separated the Jew from the Gentile law of Moses has been torn down in Christ Jesus. And now the Gentiles who were once strangers who did not have fellowship with the Jews are now able to have fellowship with Jew Gentile being one people fellowship in Christ Jesus. Okay, and this is what Jesus means by they will be one flock and they will have one shepherd, that is Jesus himself, all right? But remember, Jesus has been emphasizing through this particular, uh, throughout, uh, not so much as throughout, but at particular sections here, how that he will lay down his life for his sheep dealing on the basis of what relationship and the great love that he has, what Jesus will do in the future, the crucifixion of Jesus. Jesus is now going to speak more pointedly about his laying down his life for the sheep as we continue. So now let's do so. Verse number 17. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. No one has taken it from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my father. Now let's talk about that before we finish it. We're going to basically finish this section. So what does he say in dealing once again with the issue of his giving his life, his dying on the cross? What does he say? God the Father loves me. So there is a unique and special love that God the Father has for Jesus because of his self-sacrifice on the cross. God truly loves Jesus because of his obedience, even to the point of death, dying for unworthy sinners, even sinners like me, a sinner like you. But anyway, cause I lay down my life so that I may take it again. Now let's talk about that. So what Jesus is saying here, 17, the death of Jesus is a voluntary death. No man took Jesus's life. Now we understand the means into which the people tried to take Jesus's life how that they took Jesus and they scourged him. The soldiers, the Roman soldiers took Jesus and nailed him to the cross and all and the sufferings that Jesus went through. But nevertheless, even though they did all of these physical things to the body of Jesus, they could not kill Jesus. Notice the only time that Jesus died, even in the crucifixion, What happened when Jesus had suffered at a certain time, according to the will of God, and we're going to get into all of the details concerning, but notice knowing that Jesus had finished all things, he had done everything according to the will of God. What did Jesus say? Jesus looked up and cried out with a loud voice. It is finished. It is paid. And what he He gave up, and I'm trying not to get excited. He gave up his own spirit, and he bowed his own head, and he died. That fulfills the point. What? They did not take his life. The crucifixion of Jesus did not end his life. He gave it up, and what did he say? Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he bowed his head and died. So what is the ultimate thing? Number one, Jesus voluntarily submitted to the giving of his life because, and I, okay, I might as well, since I'm here, what happened when Judas came with the band of soldiers to arrest Jesus and, and they came to Jesus, Jesus asked them, this is found only in the book of John, whom do you seek? And when Jesus said that all of the soldiers fell back, there was a supernatural thing that happened and a power came from Jesus and knocked every one of them to the ground. See, you got to understand what's going on. And I know I'm premature in John, but let me make you understand what Jesus meant. You cannot take my life. No one takes my life. It's voluntarily. Even though they came to arrest Jesus and ultimately it was their design, the mind of the, the priests and the Pharisees to put Jesus to death. When they came to arrest Jesus, we see that this was the only time, the only time that Jesus used his power in an offensive way. And the reason why Jesus used his power in an offensive way to knock the devil out of them is because notice what he said. If you have come seeking me, then don't you bother my disciples Let the rest of them go. You arrest me and me alone. So Jesus acted offensively to protect his disciples. But what you have to understand is this. If he did not want to be arrested, he could have knocked them down. Every time they came to him, knock them down, knock them down. Because notice, even so, all throughout the text, when the people wanted to kill Jesus, They were still not able. What am I saying? No man takes my life from me. Jesus voluntarily laid down his life. Even so much, he voluntarily, he allowed them to arrest him. Because what? According to John, he could have stopped that. He could have stopped that. But now let's go back. What? What? The father loves me. The point, Jesus voluntarily lays down his life. And also he talks about the authority that he has. What? He has authority to lay his life down. So he does what? Voluntarily does that and he lays it down. And also he has what? Authority to take his life again, that speaks of his resurrection from the dead. Now notice, we also see in other places in the scripture where it would say, and God, that is God the father, resurrected Jesus from the dead. What we see here is, once again, the unity of father and son. But here, we have a direct expression from Jesus He is resurrecting himself. I have authority to take it again, take it up again. That is the resurrection from the dead. And also, as we just said, the father resurrection, resurrection of Jesus, the unity, how God, the father and the son do all things with one mind, the unity of the Godhead. Okay. But anyway. And so he just simply says, again, in emphasizing it, verse number 18, no one has taken it away from me. Speaking of the upcoming crucifixion, and I've already spoken to that concerning, you can't even arrest Jesus if he doesn't want to. Jesus dies when he wanted to die on that cross and, and things that Jesus said, it is finished. I now commit my hand into the spirit, into the hand of my father. I commit my spirit into the hand of my father. But anyway, no one has taken it from me. And so he says, I do this of my own will. And this is all that he's saying at this particular point. And this comes from the father. This commandment I received from the father. There is an order in the plan of salvation. There is an order in the roles to the which God the Father takes upon himself as the head and God the Son takes upon himself as the Son, the one who does the will of the Father in order to accomplish salvation. This commandment I receive of my Father. In in other words, always showing Jesus' In the role, notice what I am saying. Notice what I am saying. In the role of accomplishing salvation, Jesus' subjection to the Father. Jesus indeed is God. Jesus is indeed equal to the Father. Jesus indeed, as Paul speaks in Philippians chapter 2, shared the essence and being and form of God, the father. But when it came time for the accomplishing of salvation, they took on certain roles. God took upon himself as the father, the head of all things. Jesus took upon himself the role as the son, the one who accomplishes salvation by taking human flesh and paying for the price of sin in dying on the cross, who is obedient to the father in all things, coming as the Messiah, the son of David, to fulfill Old Testament prophecies, to ultimately sit on the seat of Christ. Of King as the King of the world, the Son of David, who is to come and ultimately rule the world for an appointed time. And once that appointed time is fulfilled, we call this the millennial reign. Then the son gives up the kingdom to God. Why? So that God may be all and in all so that Jesus would return back to the original being that he once had as God likened unto the father. But Until that all is fulfilled, he as he stays in the role as the son and therefore is subject unto the father, even though he is still God equal with God. These are the roles of salvation and the Holy Spirit who himself is completely God, fully God plays the role as one who does not speak of himself. But what does he do? He encourages, he moves those whom God has chosen to believe in Jesus. He holds the saints together. He teaches the saints. He speaks of Jesus and Jesus alone. So God, the three persons, all play a role in the accomplishing of salvation. And once salvation is complete, and this happens at Revelation chapter 20, after the great day of judgment, salvation is complete. When Paul says in first Corinthians chapter 15, and I know I do am supposed to be here, but I'm going to be here anyway. When Paul says, when death is destroyed, when death is destroyed, and this happens when we enter into eternity, revelation chapter 21, the kingdom of God, the father, that is the eternal kingdom. That's how we understand it. When this takes place. Salvation has therefore been accomplished now. There is no more role of God, the father, no more role of God, the son, no more role of God, the spirit. Salvation is now completed. The Bible is completely closed with this new heaven and new earth and therefore God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit the three persons as we come to know it. God is what? All and in all. Okay. I know I wasn't supposed to go there, but I wanted to just throw that at you. Anyway, let's complete John 19. We got to complete it. A division occurred among the Jews because of these words. Many of them were saying he has a demon and is insane. Why do you listen to him? Others were saying, these are not the sayings of one demon possessed. A demon cannot open the eyes of the blind. Can he? Okay. So again, now we see what that this section of chapter 10, uh, actually belongs to the issue of the healing of the blind man. So this is why Jesus began to teach in parabolic mode as he was referring to the religious leaders himself as the rightful shepherd, these religious leaders who did not believe Jesus, these religious leaders who rejected the sign of Jesus healing of the man born blind. They are the hirelings. They are the thieves and the robbers. Okay. But nevertheless, as Jesus brought these sayings to an end, what do we see again? A division amongst the people. And some were saying demon possessed, that Jesus was demon possessed, and it was insane. And This came from the Pharisees. If you've been following the teachings, we've already talked about this. Because it was the Pharisees who said that Jesus was unable to do the miracles that he did through the powers of a demon, okay? And so therefore they were saying Jesus was demon-possessed and they were trying to influence the people to believe that Jesus was demon-possessed. So the Pharisees and some of the people were beginning were saying what? Jesus was demon-possessed, don't even listen to him. He speaks like he's stone crazy. But then other people, because of the miracle, remember what we said about the Messianic miracle? Go back and look what we said early in chapter nine. Messianic miracle, a miracle that only the Messiah could do. Number one, the Messiah can only only the Messiah could open the eyes of a person born blind. So the importance of this miracle was so great that the people began to say, no, 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 no. This man cannot be demon possessed because how can he do such a wonderful, effective miracle like this? How can he open the eyes of a blind man, man born blind? if he was actually a demon, like you say. So what do we see? An end result of a division amongst the people. And this, and with this, ends this whole scene of the healing of a man born blind. All right. (laughs) I know that was a little longer than we had anticipated, but nevertheless, Thanks, God for joining me with that teaching of the parable. And we don't need to rehearse it again. Parable of the good shepherd, Jesus, the good shepherd. The parable of the door, Jesus, the door unto salvation. What is that? The the door. You just said that. (laughs) And the Pharisees and unbelieving religious leaders, thieves, robbers, and harlots. And this is all that Jesus meant in the giving of those parables. Why? Because they were not believing in what Jesus was saying about himself, son of man, son of God. And also they, uh uh, 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 there was an underlying assumption of John chapter six that what all that the father gives to me will come. This was about the sheep who hear his voice, those chosen from eternity past who will respond to the voice of Jesus. They call, they come when the shepherd calls them. Okay. So that's enough of that. Thanks for joining me in, uh, this whole scenario with the Good Shepherd. Uh, If these lessons, once again, have been a blessing to you, always, saints, there is a link in the description that you can use to support this ministry. And I urge you, please do so if you haven't done so now. If the Lord moves you and moves your heart, and you can say, I have been blessed, then bless the ministry so that we can continue these things. And for those of you who have given support, I want to say thank you. All right, with that, Join me next time as we complete chapter 10 and we now move into the feast of dedication. All right, guys, see you then.